Hey, MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? Welcome to the Fantrax Toolshed, a podcast covering all aspects of fantasy baseball to help you win all of your fantasy leagues. From dynasty to prospects to redraft, we got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clay. All right, fantasy baseball fanatics around the world, welcome to the Toolshed. This is episode 161 of the Fantrax Toolshed with Clegg and Cross, powered by Fantrax and FantraxHQ.com. I'm your host, Eric Cross. We have another fun episode in store today with a great guest. But first, let's bring in my 80-grade co-host, Mr. Chris Clegg. Chris, what's going on, man? Not much. Fred McGriff was just elected to the Hall of Fame. Woo, Very deserving. Yes. Get to break that news, kind of, I guess. It's obviously not broken by us, but Jeff Passan. And hey, maybe there will be a trade go down during the pod, too, because it seems like Sean Murphy's on the move. So a lot of fun stuff happening. The winter meetings are kicking off. So hopefully we'll get some good traction with some signings. Obviously, we've had the big one already and Jacob DeGrom, but seems like there'll be some others, some of the other big pieces to kind of start the domino effect. When seems like when Judge or one of the big shortstops sign, uh, all could start falling, which is going to be fun. But I'm really looking forward to this episode and our guest, as you mentioned, had a great time hanging out with him out in the AFL. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation on the show tonight. Yeah, absolutely. And it's right now, 8.15 on the East Coast. So we're hoping that about half an hour ago or 45 minutes ago is when the the initial, like, hey, Murphy might be on the move tonight news came out that they thought it was Atlanta, which is kind of odd. Now it's like, no, it's not Atlanta, but it might be these teams. So who knows? We'll, we'll keep an eye on it throughout the show and see if that does happen. But let's, ta- let's bring in our guest now. You can find him writing and podcasting and video, all that good stuff for baseball and football over on CBS. He's a two-time Tout Wars champion, back-to-back, no less, and a four-time FSWA award nominee. The one, the only, Frank the Tank Stample joins us. Frank, how's it going, man? Yo, it's going very well, man. We were talking beforehand. Could be better because, obviously, my Jets let me down, but it's been an entire lifetime filled of letdown when it comes to the New York Jets. We're not here to talk about football. We're here to talk <laughs> about baseball. I'm happy to join you guys because, honestly, meeting you for the first time out at the NFL, fantastic time. Totally like, sure. loved it for sure, like everyone, but specifically you guys, like, kind of took me in a little bit. You tried, you know, show me how to do the video <laughs> up against the screen, all the prospects, all that. So I appreciate it. And it was a lot of fun meeting you guys in person. Yeah, especially sure. after you and I weren't able to meet up during that Boston call in the Metallica show because I was already deep. You texted me when you got there, but I, could, I had no sorry. I was like deep into the people and didn't have any service. The time I saw your text, I couldn't even get to you. So it was good that we were able to meet up out in Arizona and watch some baseball. And you know, we actually got a good amount of stuff to talk about tonight as the hot stove is starting to heat up. It's not like fully hot, but the burners are definitely on after being off for a few weeks. But before we get into all that, the usual housekeeping here, 
You can find us on Twitter. Chris is at Roto Clegg. I'm at Eric Cross 04. Our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. And Frank can be found at Roto underscore Frank. I feel left out here. You guys put the Roto in your name. I don't. So maybe I should change mine to like Roto Cross or something just to, just to fit in with the people here. But if you enjoy this podcast, please rate and review. You can check out more stuff from Chris and I over on our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Fantrax Toolshed. And of course, our YouTube channel for plenty of video throughout the offseason and into 2023. Obviously, everyone knows where Frank's stuff can be found over on CBS. Check out all of that good stuff here. What I'll let uh, Frank plug it here in a little bit as well. And of course, check out all the other great stuff that Fantrax and Fantrax HQ have to offer. 2023 best ball league, excuse me, are already open. And we have plenty of great content on HQ for whatever fantasy sports you are into. Before we get going, though, Frank, what's going on over at CBS? Yeah, so we've got off-season content that we're putting out right now twice per week. We've got a podcast out on Tuesday and Thursday, and we're just doing position recaps right now and then looking ahead to some early rankings. And then we're also doing that same, you know, whatever position we're talking about on the recap, the next podcast we do is with prospects. So we've had the Welsh join us for a lot of those in the off-season and been a great time with him as well. Like, awesome to meet Welsh out there in Arizona. And he's really helped add an element to our coverage that we haven't had in years past. So two times per week here in the offseason. But, you know, as we get into January and February, we'll start to up the frequency. Uh, hopefully, we get some more breaking news and some more signings because we need it. We need we need yes. to know where players are playing. So I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. Yeah. Welsh, obviously, we, we all love Welsh. And he's always just out there. Obviously, he lives out there right near, I think he's near, what, what, Chris, what, he's nearest uh, surprise. Surprise, that's right. Okay, so he's out there, and he's always at the AFL and spring training and fall ball and all that fun stuff. So yeah, Welsh is always out there. But I guess let's start with the, the biggest news here over the last few days. Jacob deGrom breaking the hearts of Michael Simeone and other Mets fans by going to the Texas Rangers five years, $185 million. That's an AAV of $37 million, which is... I think not a surprise in terms of the AAV, but the five years, I think, were what surprised a lot of people, myself included. I don't really think this changes his value much at all. But, Frank, it's just in general. You know, DeGrom's going right in the you know early part of a third round or so for 15-teamers. Are you in or out on DeGrom and his ADP next year? I think my early lean is that I am out. But this comes down to how risk averse you are as a drafter. I mean, me personally, the first you know three to five rounds, I really try to play it as safe as I possibly can. And there's no doubting when Jacob DeGrom pitches, he is the best pitcher in baseball since the start of 2018. He's first among qualified starting pitchers in ERA. He's second in whip, third in K per nine, first by a long shot, um, by far in swinging strike rate, 17.3% since 2018. Again, he is the best pitcher. He hasn't thrown more than 100 innings in a season since 2019. That's the biggest issue. And I don't know that we feel any better about his health that he's going to Texas. I don't, again, I agree with you. I don't think it really changes much for him. So if you are more risk averse, you should be willing to draft Jacob DeGrom there because he could pay off first round value. He could be the number one player in fantasy. It's just not for me because I think the, the floor for him is that, again, he throws less than 100 innings and He's a letdown because of injuries, not because of performance. So me personally, I'm probably out. Yeah, DeGrom's ADP is 35 right now, which is the eighth starter off the board. Sandwiched right between Shane McClanahan, who I'm going to scream all offseason is going way too low, and Spencer Strider. So kind of interesting trio there. Chris, what are, what are your thoughts? And since Strider's right there, who would you rather have, Strider or DeGrom next season? 
That's tough. I mean, they're very similar profiles, but I I feel more comfortable that Strider's going to throw more innings. I mean, despite the oblique injury to end the year, there's no signs that he's currently injured and that he will be injured in the season. And, you know, it was, I would say, pretty minor. I know it affected him in the, the playoff start, and that really caused him to, to have that blow up against the Phillies, which was the unfortunate, you know, exit early for the, the Braves in the offseason. But still, Strider threw 131 and two-thirds innings last year, the fewest ever to reach 200 Ks. I mean, DeGrom, as you said, it's been since 2019 that he's even broken 100. So that seems pretty substantial there. I think if they pitch similar innings, you can probably bet on DeGrom returning better value. But I also think Strider, if he just works on developing the changeup a little more, and his changeup's good as is, if he can just throw it a little more, mix it in a little bit more, that he could be the SP1 too. So try to keep the Braves bias out of there, but I think Strider is, is elite. It's just a matter of innings for both of them so I do lean Strider pretty close but you know just from a fantasy baseball perspective like the move for DeGrom doesn't do much the Mets never provided him run support he never got wins anyway so I don't see why the amount of wins will be any different in Texas the ballpark you know it's pretty neutral I'd say maybe even it leans a little pitcher friendly I know City Fields is pitcher friendly as well so a pitcher like DeGrom though that stuff just doesn't affect like at the end of the day like when you're that elite it doesn't matter so I do like DeGrom but I don't really like the ADP. And there's always going to be somebody higher on him in the draft than me, most likely. And like I said, I just you can't take the risk, or I can't take the risk there. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of the same way. And I love the people that think that, you know, it's gonna be a huge detriment to his value going to Texas. Like like you said, he didn't get any run support with the with the Mets. And Texas has a pretty solid lineup and they've shown that they're willing to spend money. They've spent like a, what, half a billion over the last two years, I think I saw somewhere. And they're probably going to spend even more. So I think this would be, plus you add Josh Young to that lineup full time now, too. So I think this could be, you know, maybe a back end top 10 offense. Like, I don't think this would be a huge gap between the Mets' offensive output and the Rangers' offensive output. Yeah, I would probably take the Mets' lineup, but it's not a huge gap. So yeah, I don't see any real, you know, big drop off in value. I think it's pretty neutral for DeGrom. And, you know, in general, I'm not. 100% opposed to getting a DeGrom, but there's just others in this range I feel better about. Like, even right behind Strider is Aaron Nola. And then you got, you know, guys like even Max Scherzer, I feel a little bit safer about. Zach Wheeler's back there. And if McClanahan keeps falling to that range, I'll definitely go ahead, go for McClanahan or Woodruff's or any a few picks above DeGrom. So I think this is other pitchers I like more in that range if I'm willing to go. That range to get a pitcher, which I've been I've been waiting a little bit, which is something else I wanted to ask you, Frank, because you know at first I think the consensus was, oh, wait a little bit on starters this year, at least at the top end, because of how much how many elite arms there are. But I've seen some others that are still going like pocket aces or whatnot. So, what's your strategy early in drafts when it comes to pitchers? Are you waiting, or are you still kind of getting your your guys early? Yeah, my early lean is to wait on starting pitchers as well. I mean, I think this new offensive environment, we don't see as many elite bats for fantasy baseball purposes as we have seen in years past. And as a result, offense being down a little bit, pitching is just better. There's more parity amongst the positions. So I don't mind waiting until a fourth round, even in 15-team leagues. Early NFBC ADP right now, you can get a Justin Verlander, a Zach Wheeler, a Max Scherzer, a Shane Bieber in round four. I have absolutely no problem starting my draft with three hitters or two hitters and a closer and then taking my first starting pitcher in the fourth round. So that's Also, another reason why I'm probably not going to wind up with Jacob deGrom, but I will say this. 
I just jumped in my second DC of the offseason. It feels like a lot of people feel that way because I got Corbin Burns at pick 22. I didn't even want to take a starting pitcher there, but... Kind of have to at that point. I'm thinking I'm weighing him versus Michael Harris and Paul Goldschmidt, JT Real Muto, and I didn't want to pull those hitters off the board. I said, all right, I'll just take the value and I'll go with Corbin Burns. So it feels like a lot of people, or at least the ones I've drafted with so far, have a similar strategy to waiting on starting pitching. Yeah, speaking of, speaking of Verlander, I got him in the D.C. that Chris and I were in that we're still in the middle of, the one we started out live at First Pitch Arizona. I got Verlander, I want to say it was like low 70s. Yeah, it was like, somewhere so, in that range. Yeah, it was it's exactly in the, in the fifth. He was just still sitting there and it came back around to me. I'm like, well, I guess I'm getting Verlander. And I forget, I think I might have had a closer already, so he was my second pitcher, but first starter. And yeah, if we get down into that range of, and I'm, I'm a bit, I think I'm a bit higher than I think the consensus on Verlander in my rankings. But yeah, if we get down into that Verlander, Rodon, kind of Manoa, Freed, Zach Gallon range, I'm still fine with maybe they're more back ends or maybe high end twos in some cases. But if I, if I come back like either in the next round or two rounds later, then my number two is like a, I don't know, a Framber Valdez, Christian Javier, something like that. I'm definitely okay with that. So I've, I've still been waiting a little bit personally, but yeah, Burns, if he drops or McClanahan is like kind of like the linchpin for me. If he falls into that range where he usually does, I'll probably, depending where I am in that second round or even early third, like if, if I get an early pick in the first round, so I'm like picking again, like 28, 29, 30, and again, 32, 33 or whatever it is, I'll probably, you know, get McClanahan there. If I'm late in the first, early second, then I'm probably waiting to more of that three, four swing to get my first arm. But it definitely is a lot of good pitchers at the top. So I'm definitely willing to wait as well. Moving over here to another signing in the state of Texas, Jose Abreu going to the Houston Astros three years. Frank, I freaking love this move, even for Houston and for Abreu's value. He's kind of been very, I think, underrated for the last, you know, decade, really. This consistent guy, you know, 290 plus. You know, yeah, the power dropped off a little bit last year, but hey, right-handed power, Crawford boxes. I could easily see a return like 25 to 30 home runs. Where do you think this kind of moves him in that in that second tier? Obviously, he's not getting up to that first tier with you know the Vladdies and the Goldschmidts and the Freemans and whatnot. But I think definitely, I think he was already in the tail end of that second tier, but moving up now. So where do you think that puts him in terms of like that second tier of first baseman right now? Yeah. So before this signing, he was going around the tenth first baseman off the board. And once he signed, I thought that he would move up into the tier with Vinny Pasquantino and Nate Lowe going you know, right around picks 90 to 100. And over the past week, Jose Abreu's ADP is 100 on the nose. He's the seventh first baseman off the board. He's sandwiched right between those guys. And I think that's a very accurate spot for him to be drafted. And it wouldn't surprise me if he actually moves up a little bit more as a result of this move. But I think him versus Vinny Pasquantino is like a real conversation that we're, we're going to have to have this offseason. Abreu was still awesome last year. Outside of the home runs and the RBI, those are both his lowest of any of his eight seasons. He crushed the ball. 93rd percentile average exit velocity, 296 expected batting average. If he played all of his games in Houston last season with all the batted balls that he had, he would have had 22 home runs versus the 15 that he had playing in Chicago. So I do think it's obviously a, a positive park shift for him. It's a great lineup. I mean, the top six in this lineup. Altuve, oh, yeah. Bregman, Alvarez, Abreu, Tucker, Pena, potentially. And like they're talking about Wilson Contreras, too. This this lineup is absolutely loaded. So I like the move with the ADP. I think he climbs now inside of the top 100. 
I think Vinny Pasquantino versus Jose Abreu is like a very real debate we're going to have to have. No, I agree. And, and yeah, that lineup, I tweeted that exact same thing, that that top six is absolutely nasty. And I don't think they're done. Like you mentioned Contreras. I've heard a lot, yeah, a lot of catchers. Obviously, they don't really have a you know great catcher there right now. And I've heard Bellinger's name kind of rumored there. So it could go with an outfielder, a catcher. You know, infield is kind of set right now. But, you know, yeah, that lineup's going to be very good. I think it gives a nice little boost to others in the lineup as well. And, and yeah, I don't think any of us are saying that Abreu's power is going to all of a sudden be like 35 home runs or anything like that. Like you mentioned that you expected was 22 last year. But getting back into like that 25, like 26, 27 range ago, the high average, he's going to drive in a ton of runs. I'm assuming he probably hits, what, fourth or fifth, somewhere like that. So he's going to drive in probably 100 plus if he stays healthy the entire year. So yeah, I, I love this signing. And, you know, I, I hate to keep picking on Matt Olson, but, like, I don't see a massive difference between Matt Olson and Jose Abreu this year. And Olson's going to go is going like 50, 60 picks earlier. So if I don't get one of, like, you know, Freddie or Alonzo or Vlad in like the second round or whatever, I'm probably waiting into this, like, low Pasquantino or Abreu range and getting my first base on there. But, Chris, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, you know, Frank kind of nailed it mentioning you still hit the ball extremely hard. The biggest thing with Abreu is he just sprays it all over the field. So, you know, he has no problem going to the off of field or even up the middle, but if he can just pull the ball a little more, he's really going to get to that power. The lineup's going to be incredible. The only thing I hate about it is that Kyle Tucker's probably going to hit fifth, which sucks, but... Uh, hey, it's just, better than seventh when he was uh, for a while. So. That's fair. I just he he needs to hit two. Like I, I yep. want Kyle Tucker to hit second, but I want two or three for Tucker. That's where yep. I want him. I I would love that, but I don't I don't really see it. But anyway, I I do really like the move. You mentioned Olsen. I, I do think Olsen probably has ten more home runs in the bat than Abreu, but you trade off some batting average for right. him. You know, similar probably running RBI production at least with Abreu in this lineup now. So. I do like the move. Hopefully his ADP sticks around 100. I have a fear that's going to go really high. Like it could go Man. higher. But if he sticks around 100, then I'm probably going to just shop in that range for first baseman because I really like that spot for him. Yep, as do I. And then Chris, with I know you've kind of talked about this a little bit, but this has to lock in, or close to it, Eloy and Andrew Vaughn back in Chicago to those DH and first base roles, which is a nice little bump for their value as well. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for Vaughn is just he's in a natural position. He's not trying to learn to play left field or second base. He's never played in his life, and he's just stuck there in the majors. And I, I try to preach this a lot that you know the mental aspect of the game really matters, especially when we're talking about you know everything that a player's going through, even at the plate, like it affects him at the plate. And if he's struggling in the field, he's struggling in a position, it's going to affect him at the plate. So I think Vaughn's natural position is going to really see a bump for the bat which I think is huge. And Eloy just DHing should keep him healthy. And I think so, he should DH you know, pretty much every game. I'd love for him to play outfield like 20 games just to keep that <laughs> eligibility. But I'm okay with it because he's going to have it this year. So just let him DH every game. Right. Draft him where he's going because he's going late. And, I mean, Eloy's a lock, I think, to give you 30 home runs if he plays the whole year plus a good batting average. And there's probably more power in the tank than 30 if he plays every day. So... Love them. I think all around it's just a win win for, I guess, win 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 for everybody in the situation for Brayu, Eloy, and Andrew Vaughn. Yeah, I, I've been trying to get as many shares of like a lot of sucks hitters as I can this year. I think this would be a big year for a lot of guys in that lineup. Not the, what we just talked about, plus getting La Russa out. I don't think he was a great fit there. 
getting a younger, you know, better mind with is it Pedro Griffal? Is it Griffal? Is that his last name? I think that's I think, I think that's Gri- right. Griffal, yeah, I believe G R I F F O L. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. If I'm not, someone please tell me. But getting the, you know a fresh young mo- younger mind in there that's not nodding off in the dugout every other game. I think that's gonna be great for that. For that, so I'd, I'd be buying even if Louis Robert could stay healthy, I'd be buying him too. I've talked about how I'm not buying him because of the ADP, but I think Tim Anderson's gonna have a great year. Eloy Vaughn, I think this would be a lot of bounce back years for that White Sox lineup. And then back here to Houston, Frank. I think this is a nice little bump for a lot of the hitters there. Let's kind of talk about a few of them here. We're starting with, let's start with Jose Abreu, Abre- Jose Altuve, the other Jose in this lineup. You know, it's kind of like that big four at the top of second base with Altuve, Semyon, Albies, and Jazz Chisholm. Where do you lean at the top of this position? Are you, is Altuve your guy? Are you, you know, buying an Albies bounce back, the upside of Jazz? Where do you go for the top of that position? I do think it's a legitimate toying cost between Jose Altuve and Marcus Semien. I wouldn't have a problem taking either one as the first second baseman off the board, likely in the third round in most drafts that I've seen so far. But I lean slightly with Jose Altuve. They do give you a little bit different skill sets. I think you'll get more speed out of someone like Marcus Semien. You'll probably get a little bit more pop, maybe some more run scored out of someone like Jose Altuve. Definitely more batting average, too. So I do lean with him. We saw him run more last year, 18 seals, which was like by far the most that we've seen. Like. He had 13 between 2019 and 2021 total for Jose Altuve. And then this past season, he got up to 18 steals. So big jump up there. And we know with the rules that are coming for next season, the limited pickoffs and the bigger bases, we're expecting steals to be up around baseball. So I don't know if Altuve gets back to 18, but I I feel all right that he's probably going to give you like 12 to 15, at least something in that range. And he's been really consistent, a top 30 player in Roto each of the past two seasons. I know he's older. Some people are going to, Try and use that as an excuse to fade Jose Altuve, but he just keeps producing, right? Even at his older age. So I, I don't really worry about it. I think it's a, t- a coin toss, but I lean with Jose Altuve over Marcus Semien. I think I'm there with you. And it's funny, I put this exact thing out as a poll yesterday, and Albies won the poll 31.4%. Then Jazz was second, at just slightly ahead of Altuve, and then Semien was last. Semien still had 20%, Altuve 24, Jazz a little bit over 24, but. Yeah, I, I think both Altuve and Semyon, especially Semyon, I think he's even more underrated there. But I do like Altuve a, a lot this year. I've usually been kind of like shying away from Altuve in years past, but I like Altuve this year. I think obviously he's a hit high in that lineup, whether he's leadoff or second, we'll see. But he's a score a ton of runs. I, I, I agree. I think he's going to be at least double-digit steals. You know, power's still there. So I, I think it's going to be another big year from Altuve. Now, Chris, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because... Everybody seems to think that getting Albies in the late third, early fourth is like a massive steal. And I'm not really sure that's the case. I, I like Albies, but there are some concerns. Like there's been some, you know, kind of negative trends with him as far as Chase. And he's always swung and and a lot of stuff out of the zone, but it's kind of been on the rise. And then the power speed, you know, should be there. But if I'm like second base is just so shallow that I prefer to get a safe option. And Altuve seems like the safest bet there. You know, he doesn't hit the ball all that hard, but at the end of the day, like, that's not that big of a deal. He's perfected the poolside power in Houston. Just look at his spray chart, like, absolutely perfected that poolside power to the Crawford boxes that we've talked about. At the end of the day, I mean, like, I just think Altuve is going to be steady and consistent, and people may call outlier on his stolen bases considering he hasn't stolen much until last year. I mean, he stole 17 in 2018, 
and then it was below six every year up until last year when he stole 18. But the new stolen base environment probably means that Altuve can continue to steal around 15 or so. Even at his age, I think he'll continue to steal. He still has good sprint speed. I know that's not everything, but just the willingness to run. And I think that Altuve is still going to be a solid producer. I'm not even going to bank on him for 28 home runs again, but if he can give me 25 home runs and 15 steals with a, a 300 average, like you're getting you know, what you paid for. And I feel like it's a pretty safe bet there with Altuve. So I think he is my top second baseman for redraft just because of the safety I feel like you get with him. Yeah, he's my number one. I think right now I have these guys ranked Altuve, Semyon, Albies, and Jazz. I think I'm pretty locked in at one and four. Two and three, I could go back and forth on. I'm obviously still a big believer in Albies, and I think Semyon, people don't realize, and Chris, you mentioned this a few times on Twitter as well, about like how good he was at the last four months or so of the year. Or I think he went like, what, 25-19 or something along those lines yeah. the last four months where people kind of like, obviously the first two months, which were you know horrific, got, get lumped in. People look at that overall line, and they don't realize, like, oh, yeah, he was still good, but I don't realize how good he was like the last two-thirds of the season, so. Yeah, I think Semyon's very underrated here. Now, with Kyle Tucker, I think we all know me and Chris's thoughts about Kyle Tucker. Where do you stand on him? Is he a top five guy for you, Frank? How high are you willing to go on Kyle Tucker, a guy coming off a 30-25 year last year? So I think as of now, there's a pretty clear top five, which includes, in any order, you ask five different people, you probably get five different answers, but <laughs> Trey Turner, Jose Ramirez, Aaron Judge, Ronald Acuna, Julio Rodriguez. Now... If Aaron Judge signs with the Giants, I think you probably discount him a little bit and you probably drop him to like the end of the first round, something like that. My assumption now is that he'll still wind up back with the Yankees. And as a result, I think he's inside of that top five. But then Kyle Tucker is next up for me. So I have no problem taking him as early as six overall. I said just the other day on the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast, I would take him over Juan Soto. I feel like you know some people are so used to taking Juan Soto early in the first round that they're, they're going to likely take him over Kyle Tucker. And I don't know that that should be the case. I mean, the power and speed is consistent now, 30-25 last year. For Kyle Tucker, he was one of four players to go 25-25. I think the batting average could bounce back as well, especially with the shift band that we're expecting next season. I do think he's probably more of like a 270-275 hitter than you know the one outlier season we saw out of him. But I expect the batting average to bounce back. The spot in the lineup is just a huge issue still. 71 runs scored. I mean, that's really the only thing you could look at as a, a drawback for Kyle Tucker. And as of now, I would expect him to probably hit fifth or sixth in this lineup once again. So maybe the runs are a little bit lower, but bounce back on the batting average, power, speed, RBI should all be fantastic. I think we're going to see you fast forward a year. Say we're having this conversation again next December. I think Tucker's like a top three pick. I think he's have, I think he's have a monster year, even better. I think he's going over 30 home runs. You mentioned the shift band. That's definitely going to help him. I know Chris has that data. So Chris, uh, do you have that data up right now? Yeah, on, I just his, pulled it up. Band? Yeah, so he shifted 91.3% of the time last year, and his BABIP against the shift was 244. And obviously a small sample of non-shifted plate appearances, just you know, 8.7% of the time, but a 425 BABIP, you know, a non-shifted. So <laughs> yeah, that's a, exactly. a, a huge difference there. Exactly. And, you know, it's not to say that I think that the average is going to go up that much, obviously, but he is one of the highest differences in shifted and non-shifted Babbitt other than MJ Melendez who is the highest just for reference Melendez shifted 80% of the time 203 Babbitt against the shift 
and 412 Babbitt on the non-shifted, the 20% of the time. But next next guy up would be Tucker with when you're looking at the Babbitt differences. So I think Tucker's one of the safest bets in the draft to go 25-25 and maybe even 30-30. Yep. The, the power speeds is there for sure. The counting stats are, are the concern. He'll drive in a ton of runs because of where he's hitting, but the runs, it's just like, are you kidding me, man? Like That's why it's so frustrating to see him in the fifth spot. But I will put the caveat on it that if they do go out and get Wilson Contreras, the bottom of the lineup is going to be just silly good too. So if, if he's hitting fifth and he has Pena and Wilson Contreras behind him, and who knows, they may even upgrade one of those outfield spots because I don't imagine they're going into the season with Chas McCormick and Jake Myers <laughs> in left and center. So that bottom of the lineup could be good too, and Tucker could just you know really up that runs total. And yeah, this is all hypothetical, but fifth spot may be okay because he's going to have so many RBI opportunities with the top of that lineup, and the bottom lineup could just be so good that he's just an elite five-category guy. So the batting average is probably the biggest holdup. Like, I think you're right, Frank, like 275 probably seems reasonable because I think that we, I think everybody wants to jump off and say like, all right, like these lefties that were shifted so much are going to see like this huge batting average increase. And I'm not so sure. Like, I think we'll see like a, you know, a 10 point, like 15 point boost. So like, you know, Tucker, it's reasonable to see, I think 275, but I take Tucker top three right now, but I know you don't have to. So I'm like trying to get like the six or seven spot and just praying that he makes it there, honestly. Yeah, I, th- I think 275 is definitely fair. You look at the three years prior to 2022 when he hit 257 was 269, 268, and then 294 in 2021 was first full year um, exceeding 500 plate appearances. So yeah, I think 275 is definitely fair. I think you know you can probably add a few home runs, maybe 33, 34, something like that. Get over 100 RBI. Again. He had 107 last year. I guess I could see him flirting like 115, 120 there, get some more runs scored. Yeah, I, I was mentioning that too, Chris. If they bring in, you know, he already is at, at least Jeremy Pena hitting behind him. If they bring in a couple more bats, you know, I had a, so many shares of McCormick and Meyer in DCs and best balls this past year just to get literally nothing from them the entire year. But they'll probably bring in at least an outfielder too. Maybe, maybe it's not Bellinger. You know, who knows who it could be, or even just someone better than McCormick and and, and Meyer. So. Uh, yeah, I I think Tucker. I think he's gonna be probably a top three. Getting he'll be right in that discussion with all those guys that Frank mentioned, like that top tier, so to speak. I think Tucker's gonna force his way into that tier for next year's drafts. Last thing here on Houston before we get out of here is Christian Javier Framber Valdez, two very fun arms for very different reasons. Obviously, Javier is the flashy kind of upside guy. Framber's just like that steady Eddie, getting those quality starts. You know, start in, start out. You know, they're fairly close in early ADP. Let's see, Framber is at, let's see, Javier's 87.8, and I just lost Framber. Where'd he go? All right, they're 89.3. So they're actually back-to-back. I don't know how I didn't see Framber off the bat. So back-to-back, 36 and 37th arms off the board. Obviously, this factors in relievers as well. Which way do you lean this year, Frank? Are you a Javier guy or are you a Framber guy? Oh. Could the answer be both? <laughs> yeah. Where, where, where's, where's that? Where's that gift? Like that that little girl? Like why not both? Yes. Yes. I I actually <laughs> love that gift too. Yeah. I would love to have either one on my team if I had to choose between the two. I think I lean with Framber Valdez just because I prefer the higher floor pitcher, the one that has done it before, has thrown more innings, who's provided the volume before. Valdez put up over 200 innings this past season. Just had that ridiculous run, 25 straight quality starts. 
set the single season MLB record in that department. And he made changes this year. His velocity was up on the fastball. He added in a cutter that he threw 10% of the time, which was actually a really, really good pitch. I don't think you can go wrong. I like both of these pitchers a lot. I worry a tad with Christian Javier. Will they push him to 180 innings? I don't really think he has a realistic shot to get to 200, which, again, there's only like a handful of pitchers that are going to do that anyway. But man, Javier is just nasty. 13.8% swinging strike rate. 11.7K per nine was third among starting pitchers this, this past season. He's got that invisible fastball and slider combination. And then in the, on the biggest stage of all in the postseason, Hey, MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? Five and a third shutout, one hit against the Yankees, six no-hit innings in the World Series against the Phillies. Like There is no denying Christian Javier is absolutely legit and deserves to be going inside of the top 90 picks right now. I like to play a little bit safer. I'll go with Framber Valdez, but honestly, I like both a lot. Yeah, I, I, I do lean... I lean Javier a little bit because I, I think he will get the innings with Verlander gone. I don't know if, well, we're assuming Verlander is leaving, but I don't think that they'll go and spend big. I think they're focused on you know, kind of beefing up that catcher spot in the outfield. They know they get all these pitchers. And then another one, Hunter Brown, who we'll talk a little bit about here as well. They have the arms. You know, Maybe they beef up the bullpen a little bit. So I think Javier's going to get the inning. He had 148 and two-thirds this past year. And I think if he just bumps up to like one, you know, one Add like 20 to that. So get up like 170-ish or so, which is kind of like the new 200 these days. I think he could be a you know a top 15, maybe even borderline top 10 arm with the strikeout upside he shows. 33.2% K rate, 13.8% swing and strike. Uh, he was third in baseball last year in K rate, 7th in K minus walk, 10th in swing and strike. He had a 27% whiff rate or higher on all four of his offerings. Trim that walk rate too, which was great to see. So I love both and... I even kind of back to what we were talking about earlier. If I was to start, see what see the ADP was, what was it, 87 to 89? So that 15 teamers, that's the end of the sixth round. If I were to just to wait and go like back to back, fifth, sixth round or something like that, Javier and Framber as my first two arms, I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't hate that. I think that'd be pretty solid. So yeah, I like both these guys a lot this year. Chris, how about you? Yeah, they're both solid. I'm a little more comfortable with Framber though just from a I just feel like you know what you're going to get out of them I'm surprised the price is still where it is to be honest like I, th- I think the price on both is pretty good to be honest with yeah you. I mean I just really I mean Framber's DC ADP is right at around 90 and it's like that surprises me that he's not going way higher after the year that he had I mean Javier's going a little bit ahead I think Javier has the, the bigger upside but I just rather bank on Framber because you know what you're going to get out of him Javier I think there's a little more volatility so I like both, but I'll lean Framber, especially it, I think it does kind of depend on how you build a bit. So if you have a, a couple high or even one high case starter before him, then it just makes it easier to take Framber there for the safety. But I do like both, but I'd lean Framber over Javier. Yeah, that, that's totally fair. And like, and going back to what Frank mentioned too with that cutter, that was huge, I think, because now I kind of harped on him in the past because obviously he's also the elite curveball. He's always had that. And the metrics are pretty similar 
last year to this year. And after that, though, it was, you know, he had the obviously the sinker, you know, the metrics aren't great in terms of like batting average against, but he gets, you know, super a high ground ball rate. Obviously, that's what it's meant to do. But after those two, it's like he had a, a changeup, which was kind of meh, not great. Adding that cutter in and get another swing, swing and miss offering 35% whiff rate on that, 118 batting average against, 200 slug, 155 Woba. I think that was a huge, huge advantage or a benefit benefit to him that I don't think it's talked about enough. So I'm glad you brought that up, Frank. Last but not least, Hunter Brown. Chris, how how high are you willing to go on Hunter Brown? Because I I think, like we said, I think he could be this year's Christian Javier if he gets in that 130, 140 innings range. I, I'm surprised his, talk about, you know, surprising that Framber's price is still that good. I'm surprised Hunter Brown's price is still as good as it is right now. It just seems that he just doesn't have a rotation spot, and that's the that's I think why the price is where it is. But it almost seems inevitable that somebody's going to get hurt. So I mean, Lance McCullers can't stay healthy, yep. which likely opens up a spot. And I mean, who knows what they end up doing with like uh, Jose or Keedy? And that, I think that's the question mark of of where does Brown fit in? It's hard to imagine him being sent back to AAA. Like he has nothing left to prove there. So. It almost feels a bit like Javier last offseason where we were drafting Javier probably a little bit higher than where Brown's going, but in the expectation that he would get a starting job and he didn't ran with it. So if Brown gets, I think Brown's probably gets 130 innings. I just see there being injuries in the rotation and then like talent's going to win out at the end of the day and Brown is absolutely nasty and he's going to earn that spot one way or another, I think. So I'm pretty comfortable taking Brown at his ADP of 270, that seems like a no-brainer to me. Oh, absolutely. Especially when you look at the other guys in that range. They either don't offer the upside, they have their own injury issues, or whatever else is going on. He's going right behind, like, Rowenzi Contreras. You know, I like Rowenzi, but I, Browns, I think, has much more talent there. Or Akiti is, he might be the guy that gets forced out of that rotation and kind of the odd man out, because he's been okay, but not great. Like, Jameson Tyon. He's had his injury problems and, you know, it hasn't been, you know, the greatest when he's been on the mound either. So I'd much rather go after a Hunter Brown in that range, especially if like I already have a rotation I feel good about where I can go with an upside play at that pick in the draft. And he's never gone higher than 213. That's just min pick. So I'd be okay even going closer to that min. I think 225, 230 range is not bad on him. Yeah, I'd rather have him at 270. But yeah, I love Hunter Brown. Are you a Hunter Brown guy there, Frank? I want to be a Hunter Brown guy, but I do feel like this is kind of a blind spot for me in fantasy where if someone doesn't have a job, I'm just kind of reluctant to take them. And maybe I need to change that philosophy because you guys are 100% right. This feels a lot like Christian Javier from last offseason. And guess what? I had no Christian Javier last year for the <laughs> same exact reason because I was just kind of nervous. Where was he going to get his starts? But there's no denying. I mean, you watch Hunter Brown pitch. He's got the stuff. He's got the big fastball, curveball. He mixes in a slider. He uses 13% of the time. So. He's got three legit pitches that he can use, and he gets a bunch of ground balls, too. Not to the level of Framber Valdez, because no one does it to that level, but, man, I think he had 60% ground ball rate in the majors. It was 55 56% in the minors. It seems like he could legitimately get whiffs and get ground balls, which is something I love to see from my pitchers. So I think I'm going to have to reevaluate this one. There's only one name that's going just after him, which I think I'm a little bit more interested in, and that's Hayden Wesneski, someone I know you guys uh -huh. could talk about, too. Yep. I just feel better about him being in the rotation from the start of the year with the Cubs. Obviously, the run support and the win potential won't be nearly as good if Hunter Brown is actually in their rotation. But I think there's a lot to like with both of these guys. And I don't really have the 
the the question mark about being in the rotation with Hayden Wesneski. Yeah, no, for sure. And we've talked about Wesneski on this podcast too. That slider is so damn good. And yeah, he's definitely like, there's no reason why Wesneski's not in that Cubs rotation to start the year. It's not they have a lot of, they got, you know, they got some good options there, you know, like just since the merge last year. But, you know, I obviously, there's no reason why they shouldn't have him be one of their fives. Like Brown, obviously, at Houston has a lot of other options. So, yeah, I like Wesneski a lot. And even a little bit later, I, I love Brian Bayo. I think he's had a pretty solid year, too. So, what a lot of fun young arms in that range. Uh, let's go ahead and take a quick break to get a word from our sponsor. We'll be right back. Support for Fantrax Toolshed is brought to you by Manscaped, who is best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And Manscaped recently launched the Ultimate Men's Hygiene Bundle, the performance package. To join over 7 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you, 20% off and free worldwide shipping using the code TOOLSHED. The Performance 4.0 package has arrived, and oh man, it's a game changer. Inside this package, you will find the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the Weed Whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, the Crop Preserver deodorant, the Crop Reviver toner, the Performance Boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold all your goodies. First off, the Lawnmower 4.0 is the trimmer of the future of grooming. I'm blown away by its performance and its craftsmanship. This fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 is waterproof and also has a 4000K LED spotlight that you need for your most precise shaves. You thought that was good, but Manscaped wants to take your grooming game even further with the Weed Whacker nose and ear hair trimmer. It provides the same proprietary skin safe technology, which helps reduce nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate nose holes. Crop Preserver Below the Waist Deodorant and the Crop Reviver Toner will change the way you approach your daily hygiene routine. And Manscaped will even throw in two free gifts in the Performance 4.0 package, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Bring your comfort and your boxers to another level. It's time to take care of yourself. So go to manscaped.com and get 20% off plus free shipping using the code TOOLSHED. That's right. Don't miss out on this great opportunity to get 20% off and free shipping using the code TOOLSHED at manscaped.com. All right, welcome back from the break. As the ad read was going on, I was looking at my phone, and I don't know how much rumor or how much solidity there is to this, but Carlos Baerga is talking about Berlander close to signing with the Mets. That would be, again, I don't know how much, you know, if this is a smoke or what, but he's saying I'm translating from Spanish, but I'm assuming that means two years, 86.8 million which would be 43.4 <laughs> AAV. Again, yes. no idea how much, how truthful that is, but that would be, that would just be like Steve Cohen. Like, oh, yeah, we lost DeGrom. All right, here, I'll go spend nearly a hundred million over two years for Justin Berlander. That'd be, that'd That's be nuts. fun though. They would have the oldest rotation in baseball. They would too. <laughs> they already had one of the oldest and now they go from 30, what? Three, 34 year old, 34 to yeah, 34 year old, old, yeah, 40 year old Justin, get even older. But hey, you know, Verlinder obviously was still very damn good last year. So we'll see if that kind of comes to fruition over the next uh, 25 minutes. Or so while we're recording the rest of this podcast, but that's pretty fun. We'll see. I just got sidetracked. Where are we going with that? Damn you, Carlos Bayega. Oh, yeah, the Milwaukee Seattle trade here. A lot of, not a lot of movie visas, only a you know, two for one deal, but this kind of brings up a lot of talking points, potential value you know, shifts for certain players, op- new opportunities for other players. When you saw this trade go down, Frank, and 
for those that might have missed it, Colton Wong went to Seattle for Jesse Winker and Abraham Toro. What was your initial kind of thoughts for a fantasy perspective on this? Rebirth for Jesse Winker. Hopefully he can get back <laughs> on track. You mentioned the DC that you did out at the out of first pitch Arizona. I participated in the other draft. I drafted Jesse Winker as like my fifth outfielder. So I'm hoping there to get anything from him. But that was the first takeaway that I had. But you're right. There's a lot of moving parts for this. Jesse Winker coming off a season where he could not stay healthy. It was obviously a negative park shift going from Cincinnati to Seattle. It turned out that he had knee and I believe neck surgeries after the season ended. So just more injuries for Jesse Winker. But just a great landing spot getting into American Family Field. It's a great park for left-handed power. It's a pretty good lineup as well. I, I assume he'll be hitting in the middle of it. And hopefully, he'll be the DH because there's quite a few interesting outfielders on this team that we're hoping to get playing time, whether it's Garrett Mitchell or Sal Freelich or Joey Weimer, Ruiz. There's a lot of names there. My early lean is that it will be Garrett Mitchell and Sal Freelich. And I think those guys should be able to still get playing time because I think Winker is a terrible fielder. He'll be the DH. You know, that's a run with Rowdy Telez at first base, which isn't great, but yeah. he, should, he should be the DH too. Yeah, that, that's the thing is like they have two terrible fielders right now. So, you know, they could probably mix and match a little bit. But if they want to keep Winker healthy, which why wouldn't they? I think they'll just kind of stick him at DH and get some of those young guys in the outfield. I think like Jesse Winker and Rowdy Telez are like the same player, just different positions. You know, not not a great average, but a lot of power and shouldn't play the field. That's basically... Yeah, but Winker had a 288 career average prior to this year. Like, was it that Winker high? Was, yeah, Winker was an elite hitter before this season. I don't remember being that of, high. A lot of line drives. Like, he just hits a ton of line drives. So, yeah, I knew the OVP was high. I didn't realize the average was that high. Yeah, I mean, he he was hmm. 288 at, from between 2017 and 2021, and a okay, 385 stand, OVP. So. I stand corrected. But neither one should be playing the field, though. That's for sure. So that'd be fun to see Rowdy Tellez at first base. I guess you can hide a lot of bad fielders at first base. We've seen that. But yeah, this was a, a fun trip. I like Colton Wong. I always seem to like have him on a lot of teams or you know in sh- more shallow leagues. But, you know, he's a guy that I have in my, my waiver wire articles a lot throughout the season because he's always, you know, pretty solid and under underrated for what he can do. But yeah, this trade was, was pretty fun. I just, I want to see how those, the young outfielders work out. I, I do agree. I think Mitchell gets the first crack. Obviously, he's got that defensive value as well. So, I just hope he can keep the K's in check. Speed defense is there. Just want to see him where he's at with the bat. If he can just give me 10 home runs and a 250 average, I think he could steal 30. He's at that speed. So I like Mitchell a lot. I've already got a couple of shares of him. And then hopefully we see Freelich and Joey Weimer. And I don't know, but I feel like he might be the guy that gets the odd man out. And maybe he gets traded or one of these other guys gets traded. I don't think Milwaukee's done. I don't know exactly what else, but I feel like there are kind of be a lot of moving parts there with Milwaukee. So we'll see on that. But also at second base, though, this could open up a spot for Bryce Terang, who I know, Chris, you're very high on. Yeah, nobody had Bryce Terang ranked anymore in their prospect rankings, like top 400, top 500. Like everybody just forgot about Bryce Terang. And I mean, yeah, he was just like a dude, but he was really good down the stretch this year. Like I'll pull up the exact numbers oh yeah from july 1st on and this he's 22 in triple a slash 296 390 484 with 10 home runs 20 stolen bases walked 14 percent of the time struck out 18 percent of the time so to me terang is a solid prospect that's gonna get reps like he may not be a shortstop but this is the perfect spot for him at second base and terang made some tangible changes in the stance to get to some more power this year 
that we hadn't seen in the past where he he really worked on you know the, his foot placement, his lower half, and it paid off. And people are going to be quick to make assumptions about this. Like I, somebody on my tweet came in and said, well, Nashville is a heavy hitter environment. It's actually not. And they says in the PCL, it's, it's, it's not. He's just going to be a solid player, I think. Like Terang's never going to be a standout, but just be a really solid performer. And Terang kind of reminds me a bit of this Colton Wong like mold where he just gets undervalued, but he's constantly just like a good fantasy performer. So in in general, I think it's a, a really good move. And I think Terang is ready for the job. So I don't see unless they go out and make another move, I don't see why he wouldn't get a spot. He's a lefty, but he's good against both sides. Actually, against left-handed pitchers last year, he hit higher than he did against righties. He slashed 293, 373, 409 for the season against lefties. And against righties, he hit 282 with a 353 OBP. So certainly a lot to like in Terang's profile. And he's dirt cheap. Like, you can get him really, really cheap. And I think that he's going to be worth a draft pick, especially late in D.C.'s. Yeah, I don't know who else would really take that spot. Like, they don't really, everybody else that could play second base, they're not going to go to. Like, you know, they're going to start Mike Brousseau over there. I think they're done with trying to get Keston Heria uh, into the lineup full time, or at least not have him play second base either. So, yeah, let's say make another move here. You know, Dames is a trench that shortstop. There's not really anybody else on the roster or in the upper minors that would be a better fit than Terang. Yeah, he probably hit lower in the lineup, but yeah, a little bit of speed. And I'm sure it is, I wonder what his ADP is right now. I'm sure it's like post 500, if I had to guess here. I would guess 600. Yeah, 624. Okay, yeah. So obviously, you know, 12 teamers, you're not going to draft him or even, you know, shell or 15 teamers, but you get in those DCs. I think he's going to be a great target. If he gets that spot, you know, he's probably going to see his ADP rise a good amount. So, yeah, I like. Uh, I'm not quite as high uh, as Chris is, but I definitely echo a lot of the the sentiments that Chris said about him. That he's definitely undervalued right now, and I even was guilty of that as well. And I'm correcting that in my next update for sure. Back to the kind of trio of outfielders here. You know, long term, Frank, who do you like the best? Uh, that trio of let's see, well, you even throw Garrett Mitchell into that. So we got Mitchell, Ruiz, Weimer, Salfrela. Who is there? Anybody that stands out for you in that group long term? I think they're all interesting, but if I had to just choose one, I would probably go with Sal Freelich. And I've seen you make this comp on Twitter, Eric, kind of making the the Stephen Kwan comp with Sal Freelich. And I think it makes a lot of sense. He makes a lot of contact. He's for a high batting average. I think the pop could actually potentially be even better than Stephen Kwan. Yeah. He's super fast, too. So I think he could seal some bases. I think he actually profiles as like future potential leadoff hitter for this Brewers team as well. So it was interesting. The power and speed, the the EV data that we have from Mitchell so far, small sample last year. He hit the ball really hard, and he's super fast. I think he's still kind of raw, like lots of strikeouts there. I don't know how much contact, what the batting average is going to look like. Joey Weimer, I, I think we could have some similar kind of worries with him too, like lots of power and speed, but like where's the batting average going to be at with him? Yep. Uh, Esteri Ruiz, it's like this awesome story last year, like stole 75 bases in the minors, but probably profiles more as like a fourth outfielder at the major league level. So it's Sal Freelich for me. I think he's at the top. I think he probably has the highest floor. And then it's like some combination of Garrett Mitchell and Joey Weimer there in the middle. And then last on that list would be Esteri Ruiz. Chris, how about you? How do you rank these four long-term? Freelich's definitely the the top for me, just the safest bet. He had probably some of the best contact rates in the minors last year. His own contact rate 
was 94% in the minors last year. And he got to AAA. Like, that's pretty impressive. Still walked a high clip as well. Sprays the ball all over the field. He's an excellent two-strike hitter, which is highly impressive. Like I think you're just going to get such a high batting average out of him that it's worth the trade-off for the power. I do think there's 10 to 15 home run power there when he does you know, break into the big league. So I think there's definitely stuff to like there, and the speed's intriguing as well. He's a little ground ball heavy, but at the end of the day, like the elite contact rates, the high OBP is, is such a high floor that he's going to have to make the majors and be a solid contributor on the regular. So I like Frelick the most out of those. Joey Weimer's probably got the you know best tools from a power speed standpoint, but there's a lot of inconsistencies from week to week, month to month. We're looking at like contact, strikeouts, like he's just like, you know, mountains and valleys, like just so much inconsistency. But if you're looking from a pure power speed standpoint, I'd lean that way. I'm not really into Garrett Mitchell. Don't really know what his you know long-term prospect looks like at this point, but I'm pretty much out on him. Like he's by far my lowest of these. And I think Ruiz is is interesting, but I think Ruiz is just being highly overrated at this point, like based on you know what he did last year. And I just don't think it's realistic. I don't think his power is realistic of what he did. I just take Frelick, you know, well above the others at this point. So I put this poll out from, from the Toolshed Twitter account a couple of days ago, and I didn't put Mitchell in the poll. I probably should have, but Frelick won with 38%, and then Weimer 32.5%, and Ruiz 295 So they, they're all pretty, pretty close. close. Yeah, I think easily, like, I think in terms of safety, it's easily South Frelick, and I don't think it's even remotely a question because for everything both of you guys just said, like obviously the high floor is there because of the batting average, the approach. He's very hard to strike out, puts the ball in play. And I think he's even a more toolsy version of Stephen Kwan. There's a little bit more power upside there and a little bit more speed upside as well. Like I think he could be just a little bit better, not by a lot, but just a little bit better in each of those two categories than, than Kwan is. And you know, Kwan's, you know, we saw him. He's a very good, very stable outfielder as well. So I think it could be pretty similar value there long-term with a bit more upside. So I, I like Frolic a lot. I think I have him ranked in the mid-30s in my prospect rankings, and but he's right around Joey Weimer, too. I think that's the X factor here. I think it's it, I think it's clear-cut, these two. And I, I I don't dislike Mitchell. You know, I people know I've, I've been kind of a Mitchell guy for a while, but there's a lot more. The bottom could follow it a lot further with those two, I think. And with Weimer, you saw him, yeah, it was just one month, but end of the year the approach got a lot better he had more walks than strikeouts the last like month and a half of the year i don't know why we'll see if that carries over in 2023 or even just having better than what he was the first five months but i think if he can improve that you know hit tool a little bit keep the cage in check i think he has the highest upside of this bunch again i guess it's you know what do you want you want the safety of having a Stephen Kwan, or do you want the upside of having a Joey Weimer? And I think it's almost like the same thing in redraft. It's like, would you rather have a Stephen Kwan or like a Tyler O'Neill? It's, you know, at that point in the draft, it's like your outfield two or three. So I guess it's kind of, you know, which way you want to lean on that end of the spectrum. But I like both these guys a lot. And I think, again, I think the odd man out of this picture long term is Ruiz. So maybe he gets traded. Who knows? But that was that was a fun trade. A lot, a lot to talk about just from one little trade where not, you know, a lot of big names are dealt, but kind of created a lot of other talking points for sure. Let's go with some other quick hits here, some other recent news. I think the biggest one remaining on the docket here is Mike Clevenger to the White Sox. Obviously, he's been, you know, a fun guy to roster for a while. But, you know, the last couple of years, it's been uh, more downs and ups in terms of performance and injuries with him. Are you buying a bounce back this year 
Frank, because the price on him is dirt cheap at this point. Not necessarily. I think he's a fallback option, maybe someone you use as a streamer. We saw the velocity was down quite a bit in his first season back, down 1.7 miles per hour compared to 2020. I will say Ethan Katz has done a good job of getting some pitchers back on track, most notably Lucas Giolito. So maybe he could do something similar with Mike Clevenger. But I actually think he's kind of similar to a name that we were going to talk about a little bit later on. But Kyle Gibson signed with the Baltimore Orioles. I think they're just kind of similar, low fours ERA. You know, you're going to use them in the right matchups, but you're not really excited. I don't know that there's much upside for either one at this point. So I think they're in a similar kind of discussion, similar range. I'd probably still lean with Clevenger because he's on the better team, but don't really have much faith or think there's much upside with either one. Yes, yeah, so you're not thinking that the old Clevenger is coming back anytime soon. Nah, nah, I don't. I don't really have much faith in that, unless we could see like a big velo jump. But I, I don't really have any reason to think that's coming. That's kind of what I was wondering. I, I don't think it is either. But you know, maybe another year removed from the injury, maybe we could see it go back up a little bit. I guess I'm, I'm a little more hopeful than with. You know, we know what we're getting with Gibson, and you're probably right that they're probably going to be pretty close in the long run. But maybe you know, just that a hint of a little bit more upside for Clevenger it makes him the more attractive option. But I'm probably not going not gonna to get a ton of either of these guys, if I'm being, being honest here. But Chris, how about you? Are you buying a little bit of a club bounce back this year? I don't know. I mean, I'm interesting enough with Gibson. He's going 250 picks after Clevenger. So is it that big of a gap? Yeah, it's currently 581 versus... He's uh, going 581. Why is he going 581? I don't know. 326. It may go up after the signing. Like, that's highly possible. That, uh, yeah, maybe maybe um, everyone thought he wasn't going to play this year or something, or nobody was going to sign him. I don't know. That, that, that's insane. Like I knew, I knew Clev was in the threes. I thought, I assume Gibson was like not in the fours always. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's easy Gibson based on the, the oh, AP, yeah. but Yeah, I think it's an interesting point. I mean, when Clevenger's been elite, it's been because the velo's up. And so I think we're relying heavily on that to come back if, if we are wanting to bounce back for him. But I think 326 is a weird spot. It's almost a, a little high for my likings. Like just based on we're just speculating, I guess, on on what he can do. The fact that strikeouts weren't there last year, the fact that the Nabila was so down, and the yeah, you know, just in general that everything was up. So I'm not really buying. I don't know. I don't love the price. If it was like post 400, I'd maybe take a shot just that he could bounce back. But yeah, you know, maybe he can. I, I'm I'm hopeful that he can, but I probably won't have too much of him. I think this is another thing for me where like. I don't hate the price. I just like a lot of the other options around him a lot more. Uh, to, that uh, Brayon Bayo is going right in that range. Some Cal Quantrill, some Justin Steele, Tyler McGill, Ross Stripling. This is a lot of other names. Aaron Savali that, that I feel better about, whether or David Peterson too, in terms of upside or, or safety there. I, it's just so many other names that I, I've been targeting in that range where I don't have any shares of club. Like I said, I, I think it's not bad. I think he could bounce back to some degree. I agree not to, you know, the club, the, you know, top tier club we saw a couple of years ago. But yeah, I think it's just other options I like more in that range. Since we were, you know, Frank was a little upset that we might not talk some Stone Garrett tonight. Let's talk some Stone Garrett and those kind of two under the radar moves that the Nats made earlier this week, grabbing Stone Garrett after he was DFA'd by the Diamondbacks and also getting Heimer Candelario as well. Any intrigue in either of those two guys for you this year? I think they're two names to definitely pay attention to in deeper leagues. These draft champions formats that we're talking about, Candelario likely going to be the uh, starting third baseman for the Washington Nationals. He was bad last year. There's no doubt about that. 
but he is one year removed from hitting 271 with 16 home runs. So could work his way into being a corner infielder in a deeper league. Definitely NL only. You're paying attention to someone like that. Stone Garrett, first of all, like 80 grade name. I mean, it doesn't get much better than Stone Garrett. And yep. if you see this guy, kind of looks like he's, you know, literally made from stone, like, like chiseled. This guy is absolutely jacked out of his mind. It was awesome to see him get an opportunity last year. It's like a really cool story behind him where he was a former top prospect. He was out of baseball. He was actually doing like real estate stuff. Got an opportunity to get back into the Diamondbacks organization. Worked his way all the way back to the majors where he played 27 games last year. He had four homers, three steals, and he hit the ball extremely hard. I mean, we're talking about a 92.9 mile per hour average exit velocity, and he hit the ball in the air a lot. He also struck out quite a bit, 32%. So that's not going to work. Just a name to file away. Remember in these deeper leagues, five outfielder leagues where outfield is Really, really shallow this year, in my opinion. I think he's just someone that we should remember. I think he's going to have an opportunity to play quite consistently early on for the Nationals. Yeah, there's really no one else there that's going you know, to play above him. Or, you know, Lane Thomas is there, but outside of that, it's he, he might be their second-best outfielder right now, which is saying a lot. But I kind of like him. Yeah, there's a, that little power speed upside like you mentioned there. I'm glad he kind of landed in a spot where he has at least a chance to play full-time. We'll see if that comes to fruition, but and kind of Lario too, like you mentioned what he did previous year, that also includes a league-leading 42 doubles as well. I've never been a big Candelario guy. I think the ADP going into this year was way too high. I think it was like you know, 175. I didn't buy that, but I didn't think the floor would fall like it did here. But I am, I mean, I'm actually in you know, this little bounce back, and especially with you know, how the corner infield market can kind of dry up pretty quick on both sides after you get like past pick 300 or so. So I wouldn't mind taking, taking a stab on him there. But last question for you, Frank. You mentioned how chiseled Stone Garrett is. Street fight. Stone Garrett, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Which one are you taking? Oh, man, it's got to be Stone Garrett at this point, right? You're like taking, Stone take... Cold is, you know, 50 years old and yeah, he's getting up there a little bit. Stone Garrett, prime of his career. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take Stone Garrett. But, man, I, I do love me some Stone Cold Steve Austin, too. So I'd, I'd pay to see that. You know, like just throw throw a ring in the middle of the outfield during All-Star weekend. I have like a, you know, a, a stage wrestling match between Stone Garrett and Stone Cold. Yeah, see, that's see, that's what you got to be doing, Manfred. You got to get some excitement, you know, into there. But Chris, you like an either Candelario or Stone Garrett this year? Yeah, I've always kind of liked Stone Garrett, so it's good to see him get a shot. My concern would be that he is a, a weak side platoon bat, but who could potentially, you know, <laughs> yeah, beat him out in Washington? So that's the only thing he's got going for him. But he is a significantly better hitter against lefties and he is righties so uh, the weak side platoon concerns me a bit but why not just take a shot and kind of see uh, his ADP is pretty low I'm assuming probably likely to move up some at 587 currently pretty wide range of picks from 444 men to 723 max so yeah you can certainly get him on the cheap in a draft champions league and just see where it goes I do think Candelario is certainly the one to watch here where he's going to have some sneaky good value later in drafts that I'm going to be willing to take a shot on, especially considering third base is you know, very, very shallow. Yeah, it definitely is. Like we, we talked about that ad nauseum, how quickly that dries up. And even, you know, first base doesn't drop as quickly, but once you get to a certain point, obviously it gets pretty, uh, pretty start. So yeah, if you want some more quarter infield depth, you can do worse than Hilario, who at least has been a fantasy, you know, relevant contributor in the very recent past. But that's going to wrap us up. Frank, thank you so much for joining us. It's obviously a pleasure finally meeting you out in Arizona. And thanks for coming on. This was a lot of fun. 
Yeah, no, I appreciate it, guys. Again, it was fantastic to meet you guys out in Arizona. I do appreciate you guys taking me under your wing and kind of showing me the prospect ways a little bit, but this was a lot of fun. Look, Hostel is heating up. Let's see what else we can get. We got the shortstops. We got Judge. We got a few other big name pitchers. So hopefully news coming coming quick here because I feel like we were so spoiled last offseason. Yeah, that had, was fun, wasn't it? We had all the news right before the lockout. And yeah. then like once the lockout ended, it was just a flurry. And we got like a bunch of news again. So I, I was just kind of used to that. And that's I, I don't know. I just had this in my head that that's how free agency would go. And now I'm being reminded of, of how it actually goes. So right. hopefully things pick up a little bit here. We 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 had winter meetings this week, so that's yeah. the, that's the hope, right? But yeah, that was a lot of fun. Thanks to Frank for coming on. Obviously, follow all of his work at CBS. You can follow him on Twitter at Roto underscore Frank. I'm at Eric Cross04. Chris is at Roto Clegg, and our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. And thank you to all the listeners for tuning in again this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Join us again next time for more fantasy baseball talk. But until then, everyone take care. Yeah.